right here is a conjuring mirror. Everything and anything in here we have investigated. Don't ever touch anything. And if you do, let me know. This is the worst thing in here, it's that doll. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stare at it though. So you, you can take the picture, but I'm not gonna stare at it because that is, that has done badly, bad harm on a lot of people. You have to conjure the spirits in order to get them. You know, you're not going to get them by just walking around here. And that's the one that's sort of depicted a little bit in this movie, correct? Yes, it is. Yeah. That, that's the Annabelle doll. <laughs> Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and Ron. Yes. You're listening to The Sick or Not. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for anti-social commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for anti-social commentary. I'm your host, Dee Simon. Hello, I'm Lorraine Warren. Does that Liar. throw you off? <laughs> Con artist. Fraud. <laughs> Free you off, though. It did. Yeah. Happy Halloween, Lorraine. Yeah, it's great to be back from the dead. Uh, I'm enjoying my time back here upon Earth. Um, did you ever trick or treat as a kid, Lorraine Warren? Um, well, as Kate Rambo, I only went. Like, oh, you're back. I'm back. As Kate Rambo. <laughs> oh, okay. I, you had me fooled for a second. <laughs> I thought for sure I was talking to the ghost of Lorraine Warren. I can't. Um, I've t- I've said this a few times. Halloween isn't really a thing over here, and I only went trick or treating. I think like maybe twice. I definitely went as a vampire woman twice, trick or treating when I was a kid. That but I mean, it. did but did you guys do like you know go through neighborhoods, come back with a pillowcase full of candy? <laughs> no, no. Did your parents go through and take all the best, you know, candy like take all the Reese's pieces and all the butterfingers? We actually got money. What? I remember getting money like pennies and shit. Like you'd get pennies. Oh, that that then there would have been a trick for sure. I would have egged the shit out of their fucking car. We're not as evil as Pennies. You, you kids in America. Penny's my asshole. I'd rather have a penny than a chocolate. You, you get enough. Fuck. You get a hundred of them. There's a quid, squire. A hundred pennies. <laughs> He's a pound, squire. Oh my god, your egg, your car would have been egged to shit. <laughs> yeah, I am stunned though that Halloween's just so underwhelming in the UK. I mean, I've been here for a few weeks now, and it's just, it's weird. Like you walk around, there's no Halloween decorations. There's no specific Halloween events. I mean, there must be. You live in kind of a smaller town, so there must there, be in, like, bigger cities. Yeah, there's definitely parties and stuff, but it's not a month-long extravaganza like there is in America. I guess I just, I mean, you know, I was talking to a girl at my work who's from uh, Ukraine or something like that, some that area of the world, and she's like, no, there's the Halloween's, uh, she's like, Halloween's an American thing. It definitely is an American thing. You guys took it away from us and just went with it. It's a pity. I mean, I understand that your Tory government denies you the pleasure of candy corn. But why not? Yeah, but why not have like a haunted hayride or a haunted house somewhere? Well, people do do things for like the autumn equinox, which is probably the same thing. Like, you know, I used to go to like, oh, this is going to make me. I'm from a rural area, so we used to go to barn dances. (laughs) Jesus, I didn't realize this town was that rural. (laughs) No, this is where I grew up. 
Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, I would go to, like, every equinox, like, you know, the spring equinox or the autumn equinox. They would have band dances, and there would be a band. And there'd They'd be people there. sacrifice a local Jew. Uh, yeah, definitely. Selling cider. Well, not selling. It would be, like, giving away cider, and, like, you'd run around with your mates and just say, yeah. Oh, that sounds so wicker, man. <laughs> He's very so wicker, man. So mar. It's, it's making me sound like I fucking grew up in, like, a Jesus. Gilmore Girls fucking town. <laughs> I want to go back to L.A. <laughs> yeah, where things are normal. Um, but the, but the thing is with me, it's like there's you know there's nothing going around on here. I find it quite demoralizing as an American. Um, but it's oh boohoo. Yeah, but in my opinion, it's the one holiday we're celebrating. I fucking hate all the other holidays. Yeah, I do like Halloween, but at the end of the day, you're celebrating what going out and getting a fucking ton of candy and just getting really fat. That's what the Americans are celebrating at we the end love of that. it. <laughs> yeah, Overloading exactly. Sugar. And then what? Two weeks later, no, three weeks later, you have Thanksgiving, which is like preparing for Christmas. Christmas dinner round one. I f- I just find it kind of somewhat hypocritical and amusing that it's like, yeah, we overdose our kids on fucking sugar on Halloween, and then we're like, they have ADHD. That's why they can't concentrate. <laughs> It's those damn video games, Johnny. But, you know, okay, there is, as a kid, the enjoyment of Halloween. But as an adult, you know, or like someone in their 20s, I mean, it's fun. You go out Devil's Night, you party, you get to go to party at, at Halloween parties and things That's like that. That's true, yeah. I mean, I remember one year in Detroit, um, it was on Devil's Night. I went, I was on a date uh, with this girl I was um, dating at the time. We went to the Renaissance Center, which is in downtown Detroit. I can't remember the name of the restaurant, and I also... They revived it, but it doesn't rotate anymore. But it was one of those rotate, like revolving oh, restaurants nice. at the like very top needle. of the yeah. Renaissance Center. And so it was cool because on Devil's Night in Detroit, everything's on fire. So it's like because I've often heard that it's an insurance scam because yeah. you know your property's worth nothing, so you pay someone to burn it down, get the insurance value for it. But anyway, as your Detroit, it's like across the Detroit River is uh, Windsor, Canada. So it's like when you're revolving, it's slow. It's like 45 minutes to like complete the you know the, the, the entire circle. But as it was revolving, you'd be on the Windsor side, and it's peaceful and calm, beautiful night. And Lovely then Detroit Canadians. side, just like fire, yeah, <laughs> just brimstone, hell. <laughs> and then back to Windsor. It's very romantic. I bet it was. I didn't get laid though. Well, good. The other thing I don't like about Halloween is like I've obviously done an amazing costume as my last costume. How do you top yourself? I would rather like spend. I would rather dress up any other day of the year. If someone was like, "Oh, it's June, let's just dress up," I'd be like, "Fuck yeah!" But on Halloween, there's just so much pressure that I'd just rather not bow down to it. I just don't want to kowtow. We talked about this in a, a previous episode uh, this month, but uh, just dress like a slut. That's what all girls do on Halloween, and no. men dress as women. No, I like That's doing historical do. costumes. Historical sluts. Historical. Well, technically, I was a historical slut when I went as Jackie O. See? Yeah. It works. So did you, besides like your barn dances, um, <laughs> were there any like haunted houses or like creepy abandoned buildings you'd hang out at? Well, again, I'm from a rural area, so we hung out in abandoned buildings all fucking year long. Well, there must be loads in England. I mean, castles yeah. and shit. Well, yeah, I li- I grew up like literally. There was three castles near me. No, two, two castles. Did you ever break in? Well, they were free, so you could just walk in at nighttime and just like hang out with them. Yeah, but okay, so they're the ruins of castles. They weren't like real castles. Well, they're still but, like they weren't the... functional castles. Like your king couldn't go and hang no. out in it. But it was only one of the castles. Only like about ten years ago, the English, the British Heritage Society took it and then charged you to go in. But before that, we used to walk down there. It's right next to a river. That's a very like. Would you go castle. drinking? 
Go get yeah. high in the castle. Yeah, did all That's of that. That's fucking cool. Yeah. See, we, we can't do that in America because everything's like- There is no castle. Well, no, it's like it's a new world, you know? So it's That's like true. we don't have like 500-year-old fucking castles. And pubs and or stuff. Or circle runes or whatever. Oh, stone circles. You know, there's more stone circles in Cumbria than there is anywhere else in the country. So we used to hang out on the stone circles any time of the year as well. It doesn't just have to be on Halloween to be spooky. But what what, uh, America does have is a lot of abandoned psychiatric centers. And I guarantee people out there that listen to the show will know what I'm talking about. There's one in in Detroit we used to hang out at uh, called the Northville Psychiatric Center. I think they shut it down probably the 80s. Right. Ray, Reagan shut down a lot of uh, of uh, mental institutions, definitely in California, but but a lot of them shut down at that time. And so this one was, I mean, it was huge. It was like a whole like several acres of land, this big massive facility, just abandoned. And like you could go in there, like you were, if you got caught, you'd get trespassing. But I mean, they rarely ever caught you. And I don't even think they had CCTV because we used to break in like under a fence. And, and just like, go for yeah, it. and just go in there, and it was so fucking creepy. Like padded walls, I some blood stained. Love you can find records, medical records. Did you go like, down to the morgue as well? Yeah, well, I mean, we walked all over. There, I mean, there were no dead bodies. But, oh I mean, yeah, but really I mean, there'll creepy. be the, the you know the what to call it the the slab that they put all the <laughs> bodies on to cut them up. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure people died there, but there were like uh, you know um, the the rooms that they did uh, lobotomies in and and things like that. No, it was a really creepy place, but. It was cool. But, you know, there are some creepy, like, Kate and I have been, you know, we walk around the neighborhood every now and then. And uh, we walk by an exceptionally creepy home up the street from you. Uh, Are you talking about Graceland, too? Yeah, well, there's one that kind of reminds me of the Amityville house. Looks like it's been just empty for years. The Ivy Place. That place, yeah. Oh, yeah, the Ivy. I was trying to get you to go in there. I imagine that a witch lives in that. It's very much a house where you'd be like, a witch lives there. Well, you wouldn't even peek in their mailbox. Well, I was Their little scared. mail opening. You could see all the ivy was going inside of the door. Like, that doesn't happen if someone lives inside of there. But one time, I've lived on, like, this part of the uh, part of the town for, like, nearly seven years, six years. I saw a guy there. In- inside that creepy house. He had pulled his car up onto the driveway, which is also completely covered in ivy. It's all covered in ivy, and it's all overgrown. But he was going into the house... To do something. But but what was he doing? I don't know. We'll never know. We'll never know if he came out either. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was... That, that place is... Well, it's one of those homes. It's like you walk by and you're like, wow, no one's probably lived here in well over a decade. I would say so. It's really weathered. But I always kind of have that, like, I don't know, inclination of, like, I want to break in. I want to check it out. Well, why don't you go and break in? Why did you want me to do it for well, you? Well, because I don't know what they would do to me. Well, well you are a Jew. And American. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, you'd die first. I would probably be the sacrifice at the barn dance. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it did inspire us to watch the film, um, The Amityville uh, Horror. The classic. Which is classic. Kate even has the book. I do. Also it's a, good a book. classic. Um, but it's interesting because I was looking into it and I wanted to research the hoax that was the haunting of Amityville. I know people might people be like, oh, that wasn't a hoax. It's based on a true story. Hoax. I know it's a hoax. And uh, so this episode, we want to get into it. We want to get into the Amityville hoax and the fraudsters who shamelessly perpetuated the hoax to sell books, to do lectures, to start their own little demonology practice. Right. Ed and Lorraine Warren. So here we go. Are you ready, D? 
When it comes to paranormal investigators, ghost hunters, or demon slayers, no pair is more iconic, no loom larger in cult fiction than Connecticut's Catholic couple, Ed and Lorraine Warren. For over 50 years, Ed, who was a self-proclaimed demonologist, and Lorraine, a so-called trance medium, they investigated like tens of thousands of cases across the globe, and they encountered phenomena so terrifying that it's been canonized by Hollywood and turned into its own Warren universe. But we're going to talk a little bit first about who were the Warrens. Which, I mean, seriously, the Conjuring multiverse, whatever they call it, it's metaverse, um, it's worth like over a billion dollars. Yeah, that's crazy. Now, they, they've made so much money off that. Insane amount of money. So actually, little is really known of their past. Um, their past is like kind of shrouded in mystery as some of the cases they investigated. So I've taken much of this information from a book called The Demonologist, The Extraordinary Career of Ed and Lorraine Warren by um, Gerald Brittle. We'll talk more about Gerald later. So Ed Warren Miney, he was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut in 1926 with Lorraine Rita Moran being born less than a year later. I think it was like January January 21, um, 1927 in the same city. No shit about changing their last name. Okay, could you imagine being Miney? Miney. Mr. Miney? Ed Miney. Likes it in the hiney. <laughs> no wonder he was like, I'm changing it to Warren. I can see that. So when Ed was five, he claimed that he first saw an apparition. It was a dot of light that grew larger and larger until it resembled the shape of their landlady, their landlady who had died the year before. Spooky. (laughs) Spooky. Ed claimed that he saw a woman who was semi-transparent wearing what looked like some sort of shroud, and then she vanished. Shortly after this, he started seeing other dead relatives, relatives that he'd never met, including an auntie. And this auntie would frequently reoccur to him and she would tell him cryptic messages of the future, including telling him that he would actually never be a priest himself, but he would spend a lifetime helping them. Uh Uh-huh, prophetic. Yeah, so just like Ed, Lorraine discovered her abilities when she was young. But like many children, you know, you always read these stories of children who have psychic abilities and they're like, I didn't know that nobody else could see the dead. I thought thought we all could. I see dead people. People. So when she was 12, she was attending um, Arbor Day All-Girls School, which is Catholic nuns uh, school. And she was planting a sapling with her schoolmates as part of a group project. And she said that just as soon as they put the sapling in the ground, I saw it as a fully grown tree filled with leaves blowing in the wind. What is she, the fucking Lorax? <laughs> what's the oh, what's the Lorax? You're not the Lorax? Is that from, I'm thinking of a Pokemon. I'm thinking of the Snorlax. No, Dr. Seuss. The Lorax, he likes Oh, I'm sorry. Name. I grew up in a Dr. Seuss-less childhood. Oh, my God. I pity you. I only know it. No candy corn, no Dr. Seuss. What the fuck? I know it from, and I don't eat green eggs and ham from Wu-Tang Clang. That's how I know it. You've never read a Dr. Seuss book? I've never read a Dr. Seuss book. Wasn't he apparently a cunt? Who cares? He's Dr. Seuss. Yeah, but I heard that the, he was a cunt, a guy who I heard he's abu- I heard he's abusive, too. No, hey, Peter just Geisel. like the Warrens. They're brilliant. He was a genius. <laughs> so um, she'd seen this tree, and the nun was staring at her. And uh, the nun, I told her I was just looking up at the tree. And the nun said, are you seeing the future? And uh, I said, yes. I admitted, I guess that I am. Hmm. So in 1944, they're both 18, and they met in the movie theater that Ed worked at. They began dating, but pretty much straight away, Ed was shipped off to serve in the Navy in World War II. He returned home after four months because his boat sank in the North Atlantic. 
And, you know, he came back safe and sound like all soldiers do. You know, nothing bad ever happened to them. They (laughs) don't wake up in the night. No, never, never happens to soldiers. And from here, he attended Yale's art school, which is the Perry Art School. The fact Ed is going to art school, I think, speaks volumes. We don't have Mm, to say any more about that. Lorraine said... Each of us had skills as landscape artists and we each harbored a desire to paint. We began our marriage under the assumption that we were going to be artists. So they decided between them, they're quite savvy. There are a million landscape artists and they were like, let's choose something a bit more niche. So they decided to paint haunted houses. So they would use their local newspaper and like they already have like a pretty good collection of like occultist books as guides. So they were into the occult though. They were, it was already part of it, I think. But when it's kind of like the OTO, when you're very hardcore Catholic and brought up Catholic, you're already like on that line, aren't you? Well, you already You're kind already of on have the line of demonology. Process. Well, yeah. yeah. And you already kind of think that demons, well, you definitely probably do feel that the de- there is some kind of reality with demons. Yeah. So they, and like Ed's always been into it. Like the one thing you can say about Ed is he had a fantastic library, very big library. So they would travel all around America. They had their daughter Judy in tow with them. And what they would do is they would pull mm-hmm. up to the house and they would sketch the house. So the ruse would be, that then they would knock at the door of like the said house and they would ask the current owners if they'd like a painting in exchange for more information about the haunting. Most homeowners were like, sure, why not? You're happy to talk about like why you live in a haunted house. I mean, I'd be like, yeah, of course, come on in, wouldn't you? So they must have like done some research of how like someone was murdered in this home or is it a, like yeah, a local, stuff like, like, that. Local, like a local legends legend about and a ghost? newspapers? So they spent five years doing this, as well as working their day jobs. Ed was a bus driver, and Lorraine took care of their child, and she also took on odd jobs on the side. So this kind of reminds me of, like, Fred and Rose West, in a way, because, like, Fred would rarely pick up girls alone, because girls are much easier to pick up and, like, kind of convinced to get into your car if you have a wife and child with you. Because, like, Ed couldn't go knocking on the doors of these houses and being like, hello. Would you like a sketch of your house if you tell me how it's haunted? You're really jumping to nefarious conclusions here. <laughs> I'm not going to murder. <laughs> like, I don't know how many. I don't know how many podcasts out there have compared Ed and Lorraine Warren to Fred and Rose West. It just reminded me of okay. them. It's like a way to convince people to automatically make a them loving feel marriage, sick. Yes. a trusting relationship. Exactly. And there's a child. Yeah. Lorraine said that she was usually aloof with the people who lived in these so-called haunted houses. In the beginning, I was more than a bit wary of the people with whom we spoke. I thought they were kind of suffering from overactive imaginations or they were just making things up to get attention. Mm, Sounds pretty rich for her to say that. Yeah, after she just imagined a tree. (laughs) (laughs) So eventually, after they'd traveled all over the country and talking to so many various people, she began to believe that demons and spirits do actually exist and that she and Ed could help. You mean they do exist or they do make money for people that say they exist? Oh, here comes the cynic already. In 1952, they founded the New England Society for Psychic uh, Research and they started their occult museum, which is also my nickname for my bunker. I aspire to have an occult museum one day. So the museum was in the room next to Ed's office. And for anyone who's ever seen The Conjuring, they know that it was a room that they kept all their killer knickknacks, their demonic doodads, and uh, culty chatskis. Did I say that right? 
We don't say the word chatskis here. I thought it was a chatchki. A chatchki. Chatchki. It's not one I would ever call. Like, I would never refer to my porcelain zoo as a chatski. Chatski. No, I just, I, I refer to that as a horde. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> so, the case of Annabelle is what drew them first to public attention, but we're not really going to talk about Annabelle today. We're going to talk about Amityville, which is perhaps their most famous case, and it's what cemented their place in popular culture and features briefly in the second Conjuring movie. So, D. Tell us about the Amityville. Well, so the Warrens did achieve fame for, for with their work for, with Annabelle. Because that was, uh, I think, probably late 60s, early 70s? It's 64, I think. Because I think Amityville is like 77, 76. Uh, 74, isn't it? Oh, is it? Okay. Something the like book that. came out in 77. Yeah. Um, but they also achieved a fair amount of fame with their work with the, uh, the Perron family, which is the subject of the first Conjuring film. Um, but the Amityville haunting... And the subsequent best-selling novel, which should come out in 77, and the horror franchise, based on events, I mean, made them a lot of money. Yeah, made, put them on a, the map. Yeah, definitely put them on the map. The, uh, the cultural map as paranormal investigators. But were they investigators? Or were they grifters? <laughs> so Ed and Lorraine Warren, let's, let's, let's examine the facts here, people. Ed and Lorraine claim they investigated over 10,000 paranormal cases in their lifetimes. So if that's just like one case per day, that would take them almost like 30 years, and probably 28 years to investigate 10,000 cases. So didn't Ed and Lorraine both have jobs? Didn't they have a child that they, they did, had to raise? They did. They both had jobs. And sometimes these cases took longer than one day. And then that's, a, you know, and that's also in addition to the books, the media appearances. The occult museum. Oh, and they also would go to like universities to give lectures and stuff, wouldn't they? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. They're traveling around. So how could they do 10,000 cases? It makes me wonder, what do they consider a case? Same. But it reminds me of Warren Beatty, who claimed that he slept with like 5,000 girls. He did. He is a very attractive man. I can see that. I've got more faith in Warren Beatty than I do with the Warrens right now. So the couple weren't really involved with the Amityville haunting. They had a minor role, but they did consult on it. Um, the book that told the story of the haunting did mention the Warrens by name. It was published by Jay Anson, nineteen seventy-seven, and that you know was huge. Inspired, I don't know how many how many Amityville movies were there. Is that five that altogether? I think there's five. I think there's five. I've only seen one and two. I've seen one, two, and three. I remember Amityville three is very fun. I I love Amityville one though. Oh, it's um, great. Margot Kidder, yeah, James Brolin, Hotty. Yeah, that no, was great. And it was a huge, uh, it was an indie movie, too, when it came out. It was. Made a lot of money. Um, but, the, but the book and the movie were uh, sold as being a true story, a story that affected the Lutz family. So after the family moved into the house, this is what happened. The Lutz family moved into this house that a year prior, a year prior to that, uh, there was a, a horrible murder that took place there. And so the Lutzes moved in, I think like a year, year and a half after this murder. And then they started reporting inexplicable occurrences, sounds, sensations that were going on in this home. And so that's when the Warrens were called in. There, a number of paranormal investigators came in to, uh, to inspect the property, and uh, the Warrens being one of them. And Lorraine was the one that said there's an evil presence in this home. And was it years later that that case continued to haunt her? Yeah, I'm sure it haunted her in a bank balance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now what happened in that house is two years before the Lutz family left their home, Ronald DeFeo Jr. Um, entered Henry's Bar in Amityville, Long Island, it's in New York. 
and he claimed that his family had been shot to death. So an investigation of the home at 112 Ocean Avenue revealed that six people had been fatally shot. And DeFeo, his whole defense in the beginning, what he told his story, his alibi, was that his family and himself, he managed to escape, were victims of a mob hit. They but, were ties to the mob, though. He was definitely, he owed money to the well, mob. Well, he was a drug addict. Yeah. And he and, definitely owed money to the mob. Yeah. But I think he was trying to use this as this, it is credible. I mean, but, he's a shady character. Yeah, he's a total, we know you did it, Ronnie Jr. But under scrutiny and questioning, his testimony broke down. And then he confessed to being the perpetrator behind the slings. And so he tried, he and his lawyers tried to mount this uh, insanity defense. But he was found guilty of six counts of murder, November 21st, 1975. And was sentenced to six concurrent sentences, 25 years to life. There was also that rumor that um, apparently because of the way the bodies were and everyone was like, how could he go room to room shooting his whole family? And like he shot them all like execution style too. But they say that his sister Heather might have helped him. They might have had a pact. She was complicit? Yeah. And then he shot her at the very, very end because she wasn't, um, because, you know, the kids were asleep. His parents were asleep. His, um, there's the famous picture of his grandma. She looks like an old crone out of like Robin Hood. And oh. she's just, a, she got a big gunshot wound in her chest. But his sister Heather, it was like, they say there might have been like sexual tampering too. But he didn't murder the sister, did he? Yeah, he murdered everyone. Eventually, so he did murder everyone. But they so claim were... that about Heather, but we'll never know. Yeah, but so were they saying that the, who claimed this about Heather? Like, were his lawyers like, saying this? No, or... it's come out through time where, you know, As people, people like me. As people scrutinizing the evidence. Yeah, and, yeah. like, he, he couldn't have done that alone. No one could kill their entire family alone. There must be a woman to blame. But he had a shotgun, went room to room. Yeah, I mean, pretty it's much pretty shot simple. shot everyone in the head, yeah. Yeah. Um, in the book, Anson, the author here, claims that the house was vacant for 13 months after the DeFeo murders. And in 1975, December of 1975, George and Kathleen Lutz purchased the property for just $80,000, which is actually kind of a bargain. It's a gorgeous house. A beautiful home. I would totally buy it. If someone was like, oh, there was a murder in this house the year before, I'd be like, where do I sign? Well, I was reading something about uh, the house still exists. It's like uh, the, the current owners bought it for like $600,000. Oh, my God. It's yeah. huge. And does it still have the boathouse as well? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's on the lake. Holy shit. I would live in this house. Um, they, but they, and they were well aware of the macabre history behind this. I think they knew about it, and that's why the house was, uh, you know, so inexpensive. Don't they only stay like 28 days as well? Well, that, that was the thing. So yeah. they moved in, and, and they were aware. Like, the realtor told them that there was a, you know, horrible murder that happened in the home. And so they had a, a priest bless the house. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah, I like the priest. The flies. Yeah. Uh, but they did have a, a priest bless the house upon moving in. And uh, they said within a week... George, Kathleen, and all three kids were experiencing just random, unexplained phenomena. It's called buyer's remorse. (laughs) (laughs) George said he woke up 3.15 a.m. every night, the exact time the murders occurred. The daughter, Missy, began speaking to imaginary um, or perhaps a demonic entity named Jody. That's another great scene in the movie, too. With the... The, with the babysitter with yeah. the headgear. Oh, yeah. You had headgear, <laughs> didn't you? You were of saying. Course. I, wish, I wish I had a friend named, a demon friend named Jody. <laughs> to do your a lot bidding. cooler with my headgear. <laughs> um, Kathy even claimed uh, to have levitated above her bed and then waking up with, like, welts and, and like, all over her chest. Sexy. 
<laughs> Imagining that happening to Margot Kidder. Godspeed you, Margot. Yeah, she was hot in that movie. Totally hot. So on January 14th, 1976, it's like, what, like, uh, I don't know, um, just barely 28 days after they moved in, they reached their breaking point and they split. Left all their possessions behind, including their clothes in the closets and the food in the fridge and took off. Not the food, man. That's sacrilegious. I would have at least taken a snack for the road. I mean, a sandwich. Well, we're got around. And uh, a local TV crew did a segment on the house a couple months later and they brought in paranormal experts, Here ghost hunters. Uh, the reporter at the time said it was like a psychic slumber party. Nice. Guess who took part in the slumber party? I wonder. <laughs> uh, both Ed and Lorraine were part of the uh, the slumber party. And they claim that they could feel a demonic presence in the house. They also claimed that they took a photo of a kind of an infamous uh, image. I'm going to post it to uh, the, the, the website. But it shows a ghost boy peering out from one of the bedrooms. They said oh, it was I know a, that picture. It was the ghost of the boy that was murdered. Yeah, around the fail. He's there waving at the Warrens. No one else, just the Warrens. And the Lutzes, then after moving out, and the story obviously gaining momentum, becoming like kind of a local local legend, uh, they collaborated with an author named Jay Anson on the best-selling book. The family said they never signed a contract with him, but um, you know they're still around with the film and this and uh, you know a couple of the uh, the sequels there. And they made a little over three hundred thousand dollars, which. For the time, wasn't bad. I mean, that's good for barely doing anything. All they've done is tell a story. They don't have to do any hard work. So what's interesting, though, is that uh, the Lutz family, because, I mean, over the years, people have obviously discredited them, claimed the story is a hoax, um, and that there was no haunting, and the Lutzes just needed money. And I guess uh, George Lutz was in debt, and uh, he was a bit of an alcoholic. As one is. Yeah. And, (laughs) I I mean, he was in debt. I mean, they, they bought a murder home for 80 grand. And so uh, they also say that Jay Anson, you know, was a, a bit of a fabulist, you know, and uh, he, he claims he was writing a work of nonfiction, but I think he used a lot of uh, creative license in that book. Yeah, okay. But anyway, him. it's a very um, good book. The Lutz family, though, despite all this, has, has taken several lie detector tests, which they've completely passed. So it makes you wonder about the veracity of their claims. I mean, if they're, or maybe, I don't know. Or the, the, I guess, how worthwhile lie detector tests I was about to say, are. we all know, lie detector tests can't even be used in a court of law. They mean fucking book kiss. Yeah, but you have a like, whole family passing a lie detector test. Well, they, whatever. It just means nothing to me when people say about lie detectors. I just think it's such like pseudoscience. What I put more stock in is the fact that the following owners, several owners of the home, have said they never experienced anything remotely similar to the disturbances that Lutz supposedly were subject to. Yeah, but I bet they get a lot of um, looky-loose. Well, that's what uh, this guy, James Cromartie, who uh, was interviewing the story here, lived there from 77 to 87. He said, nothing weird ever happened except for all the people coming by because of the goddamn book and movie. And that's probably why you moved. Probably <laughs> sick of it. But that's what you get when you live in a house like that. You've got to put up with the people. Notable paranormal investigators... Ed and Lorraine Warren led, led to the duo concluding that the evil forces were at work. And they, they're the ones that had the picture of a, of a ghost boy. Ed Warren said in a 2000 documentary, Amityville Horror Hoax, he said, this was no ordinary haunted house. On a scale of one to ten, this is a ten. <laughs> cool, <laughs> I want to go for a walk for you, don't you? <laughs> well, so, uh, you know, uh, 
Consequently, years later, there's been many investigations of this Let's Ordeal, and they've produced vastly different conclusions than the haunting um, suspected by, uh, by, the, by the, um, the Warrens here. There's a book that came out by parapsychologist Stephen Roxanne Kaplan that asserted that the stories have been invented by the Lutz family uh, just to defraud the public for profit. Uh, they alleged that the Lutz couple had concocted the occult happening for the purposes of cashing in on related media attention. They knew a murder had happened in this home, so they're like, well, why not just capitalize off of it? Yeah, and plus this is, is this is the height of satanic panic as well. So it's everywhere, isn't it? This idea of demons. It was like a real, people were in fear of it. Well, it was at the time. I yeah. mean, the whole is the height of the satanic panic. And believe me, the Warrens were well aware of this. Of course they were. You know, and profited from it. Um, on Snopes actually noted that, uh, that uh, the lawyer for the accused, uh, William Weber, admitted that he, along with the Lutzes, created this horror story over many bottles of wine in the hopes of gaining a new trial for his client. That's lawyer chat, isn't it? Well, he also, uh, you know, um, colluded with Jay Anson to try to corroborate this story. I mean, it's a great premise for an insanity defense. It is. George Lutz continues to disagree, or he's dead now, but he continued for many years to disagree with the dismissals of the, the story. He said, I believe this has stayed alive for 25 years because it's a true story. Nothing I've ever said about it is, uh, is a lie, and it's certainly not a hoax. I wish it was. It's not. But there are many things that kind of st- <laughs> stick out to me that seem questionable. Um, so what, one thing, for, for example, this is from uh, Joe Nickel, who wrote a really cool book about um, just Hollywood hauntings and Hollywood depictions of hauntings. Ooh, I want this book. Uh, this one book, though, author of, it's called Entities, Angels, Spirits, Demons, and Other Alien Beings. Um, he wrote a whole section about Amityville, and he said the Lutzes could not have found the demonic hoof prints in the snow when they said they did, because weather records show there had been no snowfall, even at that time. So, but then you could say, well, maybe they were just off a couple months. Um, yeah, or maybe it was a case of, uh, you know, if it was the devil with his hooves, he'd scorched the earth and left like little ashes. I could see that happening with the devil. He'd well, they claim that there was like this hoof print and like a discernible hoof print in the snow. It's the devil. He's here. Um, the book details extensive damage to the home's doors and hardware. Like the original locks, doorknobs and hinges were actually untouched. Like, oh, right. OK, so they hadn't like flown off. Like the cabinet doors hadn't flown off the cabinets and stuff like well, that's that. That's the thing. It said, that, but it was like all the original fixtures were in there. Um, the book and film show police being called to the house, but during the twenty-eight day siege that drove the Lutz family from the home, no one ever called the police. And then there's the uh, the well-known fact that William Weber, the attorney, has publicly stated the story is made up between the ants and the Warrens. And uh, George and Kathy Lutz. The Warrens actually even mentioned, like, you should write a book about this. Yeah. Because we're going to. Oh, let's race to the printing presses, boys. Well, they did, you know. Um, I guess the house over at 112 Ocean Avenue, as I mentioned, has been uh, remodeled since the 70s. Doesn't really resemble the structure in the film, which almost looks like a skull. It does. It looks like a little face. Yeah. Yeah. Um, With the two windows looking like eyes of fire. Uh, but it was purchased by the new owners for $605,000 in 2017. Uh, Kathleen Lutz died of emphysema in 2004. George died of heart disease in 2006. Uh, the two had divorced in 1980. Took the money and run, didn't they? And Ronnie DeFeo actually died this year, March 12, 2021, at uh, age 69. The COVID. COVID casualty. Yeah, isn't that kind of crazy? 
I mean, I, did he die from COVID? Yeah, he died from COVID. Oh, wow. Huh. I don't know. I, I feel like uh, the book was adapted, and obviously there's a lot of dramatic license in that, but I kind of feel that... The, I don't see how you could prove what had happened. I think at the time... You know what had just come out also around that time? The Exorcist. The Exorcist is a big, big factor. Had to have been in influenced. The, satanic the Lutzes would have seen this. I think it also definitely inspired a lot of the uh, satanic panic you oh, know, feelings. And so I guarantee Lutz had saw this, and it was just a lot of the stuff sort of seemed very similar. Uh-huh. You know, it did, actually. Like, uh, you know, the way the daughter had this demonic entity, uh, the diabolic activity in the house. You know, I think it could, uh, it could lead to hysteria and, um, you know, a lot of creativity. If they have hoaxed this, then I'd, I've got a off my cap to these people because like good on them why fucking not like it's a it's a definitely a really good like hoax to do all this i think it makes sense i mean it's like you you move into this murder house george lutz was uh his son said his uh, stepson um daniel said that he was actually very influenced by the occult there you go finds a horror novelist they get together and they concoct a pretty brilliant story but, yeah, but it would Go also get a be couple cool. of paranormal experts to verify your tale. I think the fact that the house had all the original fixtures, it didn't look like there was any damage. It's proof enough that nothing, like, the house wasn't saying, get out. And, like, slamming its doors repeatedly. I don't know. I, I think they spun their stories of diabolic activity to make a profit. But they're definitely not alone in doing this. Oh, no. And it was perfect timing. I mean, as we were saying, it's like there were cults performing satanic rituals. Everybody thought, I mean, Black Sabbath was playing this evil music, these occult rock bands. Everyone was kind of obsessed with the occult at that time. Yeah, what a great uh, yeah, time. Yeah, Rosemary's Baby. Anton That LeVay. was 1971. Yeah. The Church of Satan. So two of the biggest perpetrators and profiteers of this panic Here we were go. Ed and Lorraine Warren. Hey. Traveling across New England in the 70s and 80s, Summoning media frenzies, just going off and exploring all these so-called tales of hauntings and demonic possessions, and then hawking books and lectures about these events. Ed is even said, he was like, I'm a self-taught demonologist. What does that even mean? Yeah, but that's like me saying um, he's self-taught because he's probably fucking read a ton of books, and he's up on it and can name like random demons from the year, uh, like, you know, 404 BC. That's like me saying I'm a self-taught criminologist. I've been reading true crime for over 20 years. Yeah, but you're going around lecturing. Are you cashing in on it? I've, well, technically, am I not like lecturing when I do true crime shows on this? You're doing a, a podcast. That's a far it's cry a from like, writing books. The Warrens would have loved to have had a podcast. Oh, I'm sure they. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm sure they would have. I'm surprised they didn't do a radio show. But they certainly capitalized on the uh, satanic panic trend. They definitely did. And cashed in. You know, they never charged their clients, actually. Their services were free. Which is in itself a, a big well, hint. suspect. But, uh, but then they would write a, I think what they would do is they would go and they would, you know, do a seance or summon a demon or an exorcism or whatever. And then probably get a contract from them being like, hey, we might write a book about this, but you have no claim. It was, pro it was probably just an them evolving so their, licensing. their sketching of the house thing. They would go and say, right, we're going to do a seance. We're going to tell you who's in this house. But in exchange, we want all the information. That's all you have, you've got well, to do. But I bet you they had them sign off on any kind of licensing or ownership of the story. Possibly. Or they, they just do. said, let's write a book together. We know an author. 
Yeah, you get 5% of the profits. <laughs> but you look at the original Conjuring movie, which was a great film, actually. I really it's enjoyed fun. Conjuring. I like the yeah. first one. Um, yeah, the first one was really good. I wasn't too in the second one. But that was based on a supposed real-life haunting that was experienced by the Perron family. Um, it was at an 18th century farmhouse in Rhode Island where Roger and Carolyn Perrin and their five daughters were terrified and possessed by spirits. Uh, both Lorraine Warren and one of the Perrin children confirmed that the movie is accurate. However, the woman who currently owns the home, Norma Sutcliffe, says the movie's complete fiction. She even made like a documentary about it and ended up suing Warner Brothers. Oh, wow. Yeah, because people have been trespassing for so long. Um, and then you look at the second Conjuring movie about the real-life Enfield hauntings. Fakes. You know, yeah, well, that was in the UK. That was proven to be a hoax. Completely, because they came out and said, we, we faked it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the real family involved in that haunting did get caught faking evidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, uh, a police officer involved really did, they claimed to see objects move on their own at the home. And as far as the Warrens were involved, um, the Warrens, in real life, showed up uninvited just for a day. And then exciting, that whole case is one of their most famous cases. Wrote a whole book about it. For a day. Just they were there, there for, for a day. day. Do you know why they left? Because they were like, this bloody English food, it's all beige. I can't stay here. Come on, Lorraine, let's get back to CT. I can't be here. I wonder if, I don't know if they were on holiday or if they're investigating, quote unquote, another case in the in the area and then read about that one. Maybe. I think, isn't the Enfield um, near one of the oldest pubs in Britain? I think it is. Oh, you think they were just going out there and getting... They were just seeing the sights, weren't they? Getting half cut. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to drink. Annabelle. Did you see that movie? I've not seen Annabelle. I didn't even know it was like part of the Warren universe until like recently. Uh, the couple's very famous for Annabelle. Um, but the story, everyone knows Annabelle's a creepy doll that was possessed and murdered people. And the Warrens claim a demonic spirit lived inside the doll. And then it ended up getting put into a glass box within their occult museum. Can't go near it. Um, it is a creepy looking fucking doll, though. All dolls are creepy. I'm not a doll person. I think they well, all look creepy. Well, it was originally a Raggedy Ann doll. Even creepier. But the one in The Conjuring is like one of those like porcelain, like little girl Awful. dolls. Oh, yeah, the, cre- the Victorian ones hate Very them. creepy. Um, but the whole story first appears in an episode of The Twilight Zone, which aired seven years before the Warrens <laughs> ever met Annabelle. <laughs> the episode's titled Living Doll Takitina. Was uh, part of the show's fifth season. The episode's titled "Living Doll." The in the in the episode, the uh, doll was called Taki Tina. It was part of the show's fifth season. Look it up. Uh, the Warrens declare that Annabelle Higgins was actually a demon. And what's even interesting too, coincidentally, around the same time, another story emerged about Robert, which was a doll given to um, uh, a man in Key West to a, by a Caribbean woman who is skilled in black magic. Is this voodoo? It's currently on exhibit, an exhibit in uh, Key West, actually, at the Fort East Martello Museum. Uh, but this, this doll, actually, uh, Chucky's based on this doll. Oh, cool. Yeah, he was enchanted through Caribbean magic. He's believed to be an inspiration for uh, the Child's Play films. But then Annabelle, very similar, got a creepier makeover in The Conjuring. Uh, all I'm saying here is it's like, it doesn't take that much to like be like, you know, borrow heavily from a story. No, it doesn't. And maybe change the gender of the doll. Yep. You know, and then say it's yours. Uh, there's another famous uh, case that they're involved in in uh, Connecticut. Um, the Smurl family. Oh, so I they always... experienced a haunting so strong that they sell claw, mar- claw marks like up and down the walls. I always love the uh, Smurl story just because of their last name. 
Smurls. Smurls. Hello, we're the Smurls. <laughs> it's awful. Change the name. Well, the Smurl family, also Catholic, uh, went to the uh, church, and the church was like, "Ah, eh, we're not going to give you an exorcism. So they called the Warrens. As you do. Next best thing. Ghostbusters. Um, when the Scranton Catholic uh, Diocese eventually sent someone to check it out, he wasn't impressed by the Warrens at all. He said they weren't sincere. They were not what they purported to be, and they were given to sensationalizing. He chuckled and explained that when he went to one of their lectures, they would see him and then kind of tone down the act. So he'd start wearing disguises oh, to try right, to call them out. <laughs> he wasn't the only one. I think one of the most fake story. I actually didn't dislike the movie, even though I was kind of drunk when we saw it. The, oh, the third one. See, I don't like The it. Devil Made Me Do It, The Third Conjuring. I'm not into like horror films where it's like about like just children are involved. Like, I don't mind like the Amityville because the kids are there, but the kids are like not part of the story. It's like the kids are just involved. It's like I don't really like what's the um, poltergeist is all right, but the little the girl is fun. It's all right, but I just wish there was less children in it. I like the little girl. She's so creepy. Didn't she, let what me, did she die of? Let me did, just say, when she died in real life, I didn't shed the tear. What did she die of? Something weird, though, at a young age, right? Yeah, was it like a, a brain tumor or a cancer or something like that? I don't remember. Something weird. But Ed and Lorraine were at the center of this story, The Devil Made Me Do It, which is just a preposterous case, by all accounts. So the, the story, I'm not ruining this for anybody, is about, about a man named Arne Johnson, who, or Arnie Johnson, who murdered his landlord, um, girlfriend's boss, and he claimed in court he was not guilty because of demonic possession. So in the, in the film and in the story, he was trying to free young David Glatzel, who was a 12-year-old boy who was supposedly possessed by a demon. Um, so uh, Arnie, along with four priests and the Warrens, <laughs> um, were all there trying to free David from demonic possession. Well, what happened? You know what happened? Arnie made the mistake of telling the demon to take him instead. So the, that's exactly what the demon did. Took the older kid. Yeah, I think Jesus actually took a demon, put him in pigs in the biblical story. What? Is that true? Yeah, there's a story and he put him in pigs and they slaughtered the pigs. And what, and then ate the pigs? But Jesus can't they, eat. I don't think they ate the pigs. Jesus can't eat the pigs. No, but he took the spirit, the evil spirit, and put it from a possessed person into the uh, pig. That's fucking unfair on the pig. But man. that's what happened in this. And the David's demon jumped into Arnie. And what happened six months later? Stabbed his landlord, <gasps> Alan Bono. Alan, not Alan Bono. Yep. And the story was a big, it was a big deal at the time. Uh, that is until Hinckley shot Reagan <laughs> in 81 and completely eclipsed it. Um, but at his trial, Johnson pled not guilty by reason of demonic possession. The judge completely rejected the defense. Good. Said there's no such thing because there is no such thing. And he was convicted of first degree manslaughter. But, you know, he was sentenced for like 25 years. He only, he only spent like five years. Yeah, that's he probably just got out for being a nut job, I would imagine. Nah, I Good I lawyer. Mean, he, he always stood by the devil made me do it plea. It's funny how they always do, isn't it? It's also funny how people go into jail and become Christians. Hey, there's well, a pattern. Someone actually uh, in the Washington Post article that was talking about it, they interviewed Lorraine. And uh, she asked herself rhetorically, will we have a book written about this? Yes, we will. <laughs> will we lecture about it? Yes, we will. Are they talking to writers and movie producers? No, we're not. Our agents at William Morris are. Oh, Lorraine. That's what I'm saying. It's like, I, I think they would go in anywhere and say, oh, yeah, this is a demon. Let's write a book about this. Let's lecture about this. I mean, this was a career at this point. Yeah, it keeps the paranormal you know? wheels a turning. I mean, they consulted on films. They sold stories to studios. They they were on the lecture circuit. They wrote books. 
Um, they were on all the paranormal reality shows at the time. Um, the, the, another haunt, the movie A Haunting in Connecticut, which came out in 2009, was uh, based on one of their investigations. It happened in 1986 at a funeral home that was infested with demons. Um, the Snedecker family, the Snedecker family, compa- complained of strange behavior in their son, violent and sometimes sexual attacks by unseen entities. Ooh. Yeah, he was getting boofed this, by is ghosts. It, is that an incubus? It's an incubus for boys, isn't it? When a ghost, yeah, yeah. succubus, succubus for girls. For girls. Uh, the hauntings was investigated by the by the Warrens, and uh, they, along with the Snedekers, uh, wrote a book called "In a Dark Place." <laughs> Uh, the Warrens, actually, when they wrote this book, it was Ed and Lorraine Warren, which they often did. They collaborated with uh, the, the, the victims of the haunting and usually a famous novelist or at least a novelist who, uh, you know, has uh, already ha- achieved some success. In this case, for In a Dark Place, it was Ray Garten. Uh, the Warrens hired Garten, who was a horror novelist, to help shape the Snedeker's narrative. And uh, later, Garten said, the family... The Garden family was involved was going through some serious problems at that time, like alcoholism, drug addiction, domestic violence. They couldn't keep the story straight. He's like, it was very frustrating. He's like, I was trying to write a nonfiction book, and all the people are telling me different stories. The, you know what collab that we've the world has missed out on and would have been amazing? Stephen King, The Warrens. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised they didn't try to hire Stephen. Stephen King was like, yeah, you guys are both bullshit artists. But, I mean, Stephen King at this time was on enough cocaine to, like, um, sink an iceberg. So <laughs> good luck to him putting this story together. So Garten, in frustration, went to uh, Ed Warren to voice his concerns. And Ed Warren replied, they're crazy. And then he added, you've got some of the story. Just use what works. Make the rest up. Just make it scary. Oh, okay, Ed. All right. <laughs> uh, the Snedeker family said, uh, actually had a neighbor that lived upstairs in their apartment during their stay at the haunted home with... Um, with the sex demons, the neighbors say he never had a paranormal experience. And no one who has lived in this home since has ever had any kind of paranormal experience. They even had a, one of the, a guy from the, um, the New England Skeptical Society came out. <laughs> what? Is that a thing? That's so funny. Yeah, there, there's a skeptical, Skeptic Magazine. Oh, Skeptic Magazine, I suppose. Yeah. But it's so funny that this just exists. There's a guy there. I'm a skeptic and I'm going to go and investigate. Well, he completely discounted, you know, what uh, the Warren's well, findings Well, duh, he's here. a skeptic. No, but I mean, here's like, there's no, you know, scientific evidence whatsoever. They don't even try, I mean, and the, one of the founders, Stephen Novella here, is a neurologist and a professor at the Yale School of Me- Medicine. He's like, you meet them and you're like, this, this guy has no idea what he's doing. He didn't even know the first thing about anything relevant to paranormal investigation or ghost phenomena. And he described the Warren's Occult Museum, which he did visit, as, quote, full off-the-shelf Halloween junk dolls and toys. Oh, it's my house. <laughs> but, that, but that's what I'm saying. You know, it's like they claim that they got all these haunted and demonic objects from all the cases that they investigated, um, saying that this is the evidence. This is why these cases are real, because we got these demonic objects, you know. And so um, when they went and looked at, when, when uh, the Skeptic Society went and visited the museum, Ed said, if you touch anything or get too close, let me know, and I'll cleanse your aura by visual- visualizing you in the light of Christ. Oh, I don't want Ed visualizing me. 
in a Christ light. <laughs> that sounds a bit too intimate for me, Ed. You know, he, he, they refuse to allow any members of the Skeptical Society to go on any paranormal investigations with them. Yeah, I wonder why. Because do you want a negative Nancy behind you going, wrong, <laughs> the well, whole time? I would just be like, I want to see some actual evidence. Yeah, but, the, you know, the Warrens are there helping desperate people do desperate things. I'm pretty sure the desperate people also don't want to hear someone behind them going, he's wrong. It's because your dad's an alcoholic. <laughs> Eva. Uh, th- that's the thing. You know, there's a sensible explanation for this. Well, yeah, I don't believe in ghosts or anything. But so. Ed did. Ed was pressured to get evidence. I mean, they did have a picture of Ghost Boy, but I think a lot of people were like, uh, okay. You yeah, know. the Crimson Ghost. Yeah, then. <laughs> And that seems dubious to me. Well, Ed's evidence was uh, video evidence of the white lady. Okay. There's a local legend about a ghostly lady that haunts the Union Cemetery in uh, Connecticut. And uh, he had this ghost, he said, on video, but never showed anyone in the public. Didn't even show the guy from the Skeptical Society. So, you know, he was, um, you know, they were like, okay, well, who actually has seen the video? Eventually, the video did come out, and uh, people from the Skeptic Society did end up uh, actually getting to examine it. And they say that uh, this was his, this was his like proof. This was his irrefutable evidence of the paranormal. And so uh, they they were only allowed to view the tape in Warren's home because Ed wouldn't let them, uh, you know, analyze it. Right. Tape shows an apparent white human figure moving behind some tombstone, but. And like walking the back of the cemetery, but like videos of like Bigfoot and Loch Ness monster, shaky cam, shaky cam. It's, it's it, the distance and the resolution of the image. You can't really make it out. Like you can't even see it. And uh, Ed's never investigated the video with any like scientific, you know, practice or uh, or uh, theory. Yeah, he's just like, no, it's real, right there. That see that like glare, ghost. <laughs> you know, that's the white lady right there. And now after the Warrens died, though, their son-in-law, Tony Sparrow, did actually release a video. It's posted on YouTube. I'll, uh, I'll post it on Patreon. But you can look for yourself. It doesn't look like anything. I mean, I was watching it. I even watched it kind of like I slowed it down, watched it a couple points. At the points where you supposedly can see the ghost. Yeah. It looks like nothing. Yeah, it's just funny. It's like the Bigfoot video. Yeah, or, the, or that uh, famous picture of Bigfoot walking. It's like. Famous. You love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, if, with the resolution, it could easily be a dude in a suit. Yeah. It looks like an hairy Armenian. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so here you have it. There's a lot of like spurious claims to uh, to what what the uh, what what the the Warrens say are real hauntings. They don't provide any evidence. They obviously have cashed in and profited quite heavily from uh, the satanic panic. They have. They didn't write these. A lot of these books they collaborated with other fiction novelists to write these books or taking accounts directly from the family who also profited off these stories. You know, that's the thing. I'm not going to fault them for making a career, but quit saying it's nonfiction. Yeah. I kind of feel the same, but beyond, but beyond all of these claims that the Warrens are con artists and frauds, the hauntings are fabricated. What's more problematic is what most people don't know about. And that's that Ed Warren groomed a 15 year old girl half his age that he met while working as a bus driver and they eventually had a 40 year relationship that Lorraine completely tolerated this is totally like the juicy like bit at the end so it, it's like a true Hollywood story this here. Is, we're dropping the true Hollywood bomb here 
So just weeks after the first Conjuring film opened in 2013, allegations came out, right? So in the early 1960s, Ed Warren initiated a relationship with an underage girl with Lorraine's knowledge. Goes Gets worse. So she knew about it. I think she tolerated it. She, they hated each other. Yeah. Yeah. So now in her, she's now in her 70s. She's still alive. Judith Penny has said in a sworn declaration that she lived in the Warrens' house as Ed's lover for four decades. It is unclear whether Warner Brothers have taken any action in response to these allegations, but the sequel continued to portray them as a happy couple in a conventional marriage, as did the third film. It's all one big love story, right? So in The Conjuring, they are depicted as like a pious, devoted and loving couple. But we know that in real life, things were very, very different. Well, maybe. Or do you think Ed Lorraine's, Ed Lorraine's home was uh, being haunted by a side hoe? <laughs> side hoe. <laughs> <laughs> Evil succubus. Side hoe. So in this sworn declaration, uh, Judith has declared that Ed initiated the relationship with her when she was just 15 and he was in his mid-30s. So he'd not gained enough fame as a self-trained demonologist to pay the bills um, at this point. And he was working as a city bus driver in Monroe, Connecticut. And Judith was a student at the Central High School in uh, the nearby town of Bridgeport. And she rode his bus. They saw each other like five times a week. He picked her. He picked up a student on his bus. Yes, this is very Bill Wyman out of the Rolling Stones here. So by 1963, she had moved into their home. And for the next 40 years, um, at first she stayed in like a bedroom, which was directly opposite the couple. But eventually she moved into an apartment built for her, which was above the family home. She said she had a sexual relationship with Ed, with Lorraine's knowledge. One night he would sleep downstairs, she said. And then one night he'd sleep upstairs. Wow, so he just went back and forth. Back and forth. That's an ideal situation. What a perfect marriage. (laughs) Judith has said that Ed told her many times that she was the love of his life. The Warrens, according to her, presented her variously. uh, Like um, she could, they would either say, here's our niece. Or they would say, this is a poor girl that we've taken in and we're helping her out of charity. She has nowhere else to go. That's, That's what I've heard when people mention this. It's like, well, she had nowhere else to go. So, and so we, we took her in out of the goodness of our Christian heart. And now she lives with us in the bedroom directly opposite ours. And I get to bang her every other <laughs> hey. night. It's a win-win. So in May of 78, when she was in her 30s, Judith became pregnant with Ed's child. She said that Lorraine made her have an abortion because the birth of a child, this could have become public and any scandal could have ruined their, you know, good Catholic Warren uh, fighting demons business well their presentation you know they had exactly. this veneer of being this pious devout christian couple especially once the conjuring movies came out you know it never fails to amaze me just how absolutely dirty and disgusting most people who claim to be the most religious are they are always like you know look at the bakers look how awful they are as well, people yeah you look at the bakers you look at uh, who's that one guy just, just jim like jones the, Jim Joe, yeah, Jim yeah. Jones, just, I mean, he's, he's like, yeah, the, the, the epitome. But then what was that? I forget that guy's name, but he led a mega church in Colorado. And then meanwhile, like, I'm seriously, like a 20,000-member yeah. church. And then he was caught several occasions in a hotel with a rent boy smoking meth. Yeah, he's- Forget me- that guy's name. He's modern. He's, yeah. That's only been- but, that, but that's what I'm saying. It's like hypocrisy of the religious right. Completely. So through tears, Judith, she recalled this incident. 
They wanted me to tell everyone that someone had come into my apartment, that they had raped me, and I wouldn't do that. I was so scared. I didn't know what to do, but I had an abortion. The night they picked me up from the hospital after having it, they went out, they lectured, and they left me alone. That's just cold. So yeah. cold to do to someone. Did they put the abortion in the occult museum? They put the abortion in Warwick Davis's <laughs> furnace. <laughs> <laughs> So Judith has also claimed that Ed was sometimes abusive to Lorraine. This comes as no surprise. Early on, she said she witnessed him backhand his wife so hard that she lost consciousness. Sometimes Ed would actually have to slap her across her face to shut her up. Some nights I thought they were going to kill each other. Not surprised there. I don't think there's any love lost between this couple. She also said she helped Ed maintain his reputation as a ghost hunter. Here we go. He claimed to help... She claimed to have helped capture the White Lady, a ghost who supposedly supposedly haunts Union Cemetery in Connecticut on tape in the summer of 1990. So after camping out in the graveyard for a week, Judith helped Ed make a video that would show what the White Lady would look like if she was to be spotted. So she donned a very spooky white sheet and she became the White Lady. It's like, you know, the first Halloween costume you ever have is being a ghost, isn't it? So they hung out in the, for like a week in the cemetery, banging, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, away from Lorraine. I wonder if they had like a tent. Pro- probably because he was like, I'm going to catch, the, you know, I'm going to see the white lady. And then when they couldn't find it, frustrating, he's like, put on a sheet, walk around there, and then I'm going to try to use filters on this film to make it look spooky. They probably spent all week trying to make it look good. Well, no one saw it for years. Yeah. No one saw this for years, so it's like, you know, he, he probably worked on him for years it's probably a pet project true his evidence so the warren's daughter and son-in-law they claim that they never knew about judith or the abuse that she faced the warrens opened their home to miss penny when she was 18 she had nowhere else to live following a childhood of neglect during much of their career ed and lorraine were on the road they were working on cases they were giving lectures and miss penny lived at and watched their house So um, they also say that uh, Judith Penny had a long-term boyfriend for much of that time, the one she would eventually marry, and the couple um, spent holidays with their family. So Hmm. they would all like go on families together, but she didn't hang out with them all the time. So their daughter Judy actually didn't even live with her parents. She didn't even live with the Warrens. She lived with Lorraine's mother. So that left Judith Penny alone with Ed and Lorraine. And she was said to be the only young girl living in the Warrens' home. So they well, can't say jack shit about well, what got, went on between them. Well, it also kind of contradicts the uh, the way they're presenting the contract. Because isn't the daughter... Well, they do actually leave alone. Oh, they leave her alone times. loads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, I'm worried about her. She's all alone. But actually, it's Ed going, I'm worried about her because my side piece is at home all alone and I want to bang her. Well, also, probably he's worried she's going to go meet another dude, which apparently she did. Well, eventually she did. Um, So Lorraine was very intent on preventing any sordid aspects of their story from being portrayed on screen. So her deal with New Line um, to serve as consultant um, for The Conjuring, it actually included very unusual restrictions for like the movie biz. The films couldn't show her or her husband engaging in crimes, including having sex with minors, <laughs> child pornography, prostitution, or sexual assault. The fact that these are all causes she's put in says to me that she has engaged in all of that behavior. Well, I'm just saying this speaks volumes. Exactly. You know, obviously she knows there's there's a history there that she doesn't want revealed. She does. 
neither the husband or wife in the in these conjuring movies they can be depicted as participating in any extramarital <laughs> sexual relationship either so uh Judith Penny, she's never told her story to the media, but it nearly surfaced as part of the sprawling legal, legal fight over the films. So as we mentioned, there was Arthur um, Gerald Brittle before. He's got claims in a pending lawsuit, which I think has been solved. It's been uh, dropped now, hasn't it? And he won. He I don't got know paid how, off. Well, he, but he was suing for like $900 million, but I think he settled for much less. Yeah, but, he but yeah, I don't know how much But they was. paid him off. They paid him to go away. He claimed that The Conjuring has ripped off his 1980 book, The Demonologist. I can kind of see that. So now Judith is in her 70s. She's never received a cent from The Conjuring movies. She clearly has no love for Lorraine. She does not like the woman. She still seems to have fond feelings for Ed. And although their relationship ended in 2003 and she married, she remained friendly with Ed until his death in 2006. And Lorraine died in 2019 at the age of 92. Well, that's interesting. So they only had one daughter, then. Just Judy, yeah. So I wonder who's getting the proceeds from the films. Obviously, Judy's probably not getting anything. No, it's Judy and her um, the and her the, the husband. Uh, what's he called? Tony Spera. That's who, it. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I mean, one thing you gotta say about the Warrens—they were great at being con artists. Yeah, and they're obviously covering up. Child, child rape as well. well. That's what I'm saying. As like they can twist reality. I mean, they made up ghosts, they made up demons, they they took up raggedy ants all and and uh, put it in a glass case, scared people, sold I don't know thousands of books. Right. Uh, the Conjuring films have grossed over a billion dollars. But I've read this several accounts, and I actually do firmly agree with it that the the paranormal investigations, the demonic possessions. And the haunted homes were just bait to get people in. The real point is that hauntings were caused by people who refused to conform to traditional family values. Only people who are devout Christians except the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would be free from torment. Oh, that makes you sick. Pure religious right hypocrisy right there because they didn't practice those values. Did they fuck? <laughs> they were conning everyone, everyone around them. Yeah, I mean, look at this. For, uh, like a four-decade-long relationship with a girl half his age. An extra, I mean, they, they had an extramarital, you know, polyamorous situation in their home. Yeah, and he was also beating Lorraine. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past him if he was also beating Judith as well, like, because a leopard doesn't change its spots, does he? But yet the Warrens are preaching that evil can only happen to people who are already evil themselves. Like them. <laughs> like them. People who do negative or patently unnatural things are essentially doing the devil's work for him and attract negative spirits to their side. That's what Ed, Ed Warren would say. Very rich. Pretty rich coming from a man who had an illicit relationship with a girl half his age and his devout Catholic wife who convinced this girl to have an abortion. Ugh. It's a sordid you know, tale, David. The Warrens told everyone about the hidden society of demons and evil people who, who killed, you know, preyed on children and promised to protect all of their believers with their Christian faith. And I think that's what the, that was the point of their lecture is you turn away from God you see demons. You see what happens. You become evil. You know, you get um, possessed by Satan. To me, it sounds very similar to QAnon, in a yeah. sense. I'm sure they would have been uh, right down with that cult. But they preached the value of a happy home, but they didn't practice that. Not at all. Nope. In reality, they practiced the opposite. The Warrens lied. And that's exactly what they did. And they built a hell of a career out of it. And they're still earning money posthumously. You know... At best, the Warrens were 
a pop culture fixture of horror, the horror genre. I right. mean, they're definitely, everybody knows them from the Conjuring movies. At worst, they were con artists, you know, that, that uh, sold, sold Fanta, phantasmagoric snake oil. And nonces. To people. And you could say, you know, uh, Ed might have been, uh, been a nonce. Yeah. But, you know, they didn't, did they do real great harm to these families? Sold them a bill of goods, made them feel like, you know, validate what, what, and probably influence them to like, yo, you had this like spirit paranormal experience. So now it made them feel interesting. In fact, made a lot of them make some money, like the Lutzes. That's true. You know? But, you know, in the end, I think what, uh, what we're looking at are, are frauds. Completely. And I think it's funny that, uh, that, then whenever it's like, oh my God, the Warrens are amazing. These paranormal investigators is great. It's like, but in the end, I think what you're looking into is uh, you're just falling for the con. You're falling for the Hollywood lie. I, I do understand, though, with The Conjuring. It's like, sure, they're not going to present this couple. With, I mean, if it was like a real documentary, I could see that. But it's like, I think what they were trying to do is the Hollywood version of this couple. Because the movie wasn't supposed to be about the Warrens per se. I would love a, a real Warrens movie, though, where all of this is in it. And then a Conjuring movie after that. Can you imagine the, the head spin that would be? It would be very interesting to see that. If people would go, knowing that like Ed was a, a wife-beating, he liked to drink, and he liked to nonce on children. Would you go and see the next Conjuring movie after that probably. and be like, they're helping? <laughs> no, <laughs> I probably would. These people are really helping. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I just want people to, to, to think twice about the Warrens. When you see the Conjuring movie next time, think twice about the Warrens. <laughs> uh, people's episode 815 here at Sick and Wrong. Got phone calls coming up next, 323-522-4032. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. If you're not a Sick and Wrong patron, then you might be missing out on special phone calls like this one. I bought a speculum from... Amazon. Oh my god! Um, I get this fucking thing, and it's not the best-made thing ever. Uh, I should have saved this right, for the hey, main hey, show. Hey. <laughs> this is also experiment. There's experimenting sexually together. Buying a speculum is not experimenting sexually. That's being like that's me- for medical use. There's 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 you know, no point. If I was at a man's house and he says, "Let's do something kinky, baby." And I was like, yeah, I'm really up for that, too. Let's do it. And then he rocked out a fucking speculum. I'd be like, what the fuck? Why do you want to see my cervix? I want to see what you got in there. Let's go spelunking. (laughs) You fucking put that. Every woman has a fear of a speculum. No woman goes, oh, yeah, baby. Put that speculum in. Like what, what the fuck experience. is he like role playing as a gynecologist like a really shitty junkie gynecologist yeah, this is not kinky sex <laughs> this is like unsatisfying sex <laughs> what woman has ever said to you oh yeah i can only come if you gape my vagina apart i know that's I the should, only way i can come i should like, be as hard as i am right now but whatever <laughs> For just $5, you can hear the rest of this phone call, a bonus news story, and about an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. So we got a few phone calls to get to here. 323-522-4032 is that number. 
Oh, you know, we did actually get a, ha- a Halloween call here. I love it. A spooky tale. Oh, my God. From none other than Buffalo Bill. <gasps> Amazing. Hey, Dean. This is Buffalo Bill calling in with a Halloween tale. Uh, this takes place uh, a couple years back where I decided that I wanted to be Skeletor for Halloween. And my roommate was going to go as He-Man. Uh, and I didn't... Uh, I don't know. That's a pretty good couple's costume there, Buffalo Bill. Yeah, you can do a great job with that. Skeletor is also, as we know, one of my heroes, one of my idols. especially Frank Langella. Frank Langella. Not Jello. Frank, Frank Lang- Langello. Frank Langella. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the, uh, the, the, the hilarious costume I'll be. Skeletor, but a box of Jello. Because you're Frank Langello. Frank Langello, yeah. Right. I like it. Um, did you ever have, like, when you were a kid, like, fantasies about Skeletor? I just or imagine. Merman? Not the Merman. I just thought that one day I'm. Beastman. Beastman. What's the kitty Stinkor. called? You're just naming them all. You know all the names. <laughs> I know. I, yeah, I watched uh, the Kevin Smith He-Man. Oh, and there was Fistar, too. You remember Fistar? Because that's brother, a very famous. That was my brother's favorite character. He-Man toy. <laughs> Fist it all off. makes sense now. <laughs> <laughs> battle Cat. I used to want to grow up and be Skeletor and have Battle Cat. But He-Man rode Battle Cat. Yeah, I can be who I want to be in my imaginations. Don't be a dream killer. D. Pretty frugal dude. So I thought, I'll make my own uh, Skeletor costume. And it came out really well. I will put a picture of it. Uh, I want to see this. On put Discord. it on the Patreon. Oh, yeah, put it on more suit. Like, to, you know, for a blue body. I thought, eh, fuck it. I'm just going to paint my entire body blue. Yeah. So I did. Wasn't Skeletor very muscular? Uh, he's kind of like muscular he's sinewy. Buff, he's buff, but he's not as, like, totally buff as He-Man. Is Buffalo Bill buff? Is that where the buff in Buffalo Bill comes from? <laughs> I don't know. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, if you're going to try to be Skeletor, you can't be, like, skinny Skeletor. Well, I think it would be funnier if he's overweight, tubby Skeletor. Just tubby Skeletor. <laughs> because it's like the mafia would call it. With a that. punch. Yeah. <laughs> and it was freezing cold. And so I go to this party, and, and we're getting there, uh, and someone hands me a drink, and I take a sip of it, and then I don't remember anything else. Skeletor got spiked. He got spiked. Someone spiked Skeletor. Skeletor got spiked. That's kind of funny that someone would be like, I'm going to go spike the guy wearing the Skeletor outfit. I'm spiking Skeletor tonight. <laughs> Do you think he did this Skeletor <laughs> laugh when he got spiked? I don't know. Who knows what he did? You never know when you've well, been we're spiked. we're going to find out. Hey. But you know, I was reading in, uh, in the UK, they like to spike people literally with needles now. You were telling me about this. Yeah, this is this. I don't know if it's like uh, one of those panic type articles. Like Probably. every now and then, they're always like, "Oh, the cocaine in Los Angeles is cut with fentanyl. Watch out, beware." So you got to be careful. I, I don't know if like they're like, "Oh, watch out when you drink at clubs because evil men will come over and jab you, prick you, yeah, prick you." <laughs> evil men will prick you. It's a life lesson. <laughs> it's a life lesson you've learned too many times. Sadly. Uh, I wake up at 6 or 7 in the morning the following day in my shower, freezing cold, because the water has been running all night, and it's just freezing cold water on my body. Uh, You know, my lips were blue, my fingers and toes uh, were numb. Did you have all of your organs? That's what I'd be concerned about. 
He was already blue. <laughs> he already went out the house blue. He's still blue. Yeah, but would you, if you woke up in a cold bathtub, wouldn't you be like, oh my God, is my liver still there? Actually, once, this is one when I used to take a lot of speed, like a lot of speed. I had a really, really, really bad come down and experience. And the house I was living in at the time had like a shower room with a lock way up on like the fifth floor. Nobody ever used this shower. Everyone was scared of it. And I just locked myself in there for like half a day and cried in the shower till it went freezing cold. Was... Jesus Christ. Yeah, so I did a Buffalo Bill. Yeah, no, that's terrible. I mean, were you passed out? I was like, you know, when you're really badly coming down and you go through phases. You just want to have a good cry. Well, you go through phases where you're asleep and then you're awake and you're feeling like absolute. I've never had a worse drug come down than that. Nothing will ever be as bad as that. Then just go have a wank. Actually, have 30. <laughs> And I had no idea how I had gotten back to my place and ended up with, you know, in my shower with the shower on. And unfortunately, the blue took a long time to get off. Um, <laughs> no but shit. <laughs> the next, over the next couple of days, uh, I was feeling all right, you know, blacked out, but shit happened. I had, no, I had no idea how I had lost so much time. And the next day, uh, a few days later, my roommate... I was, oh, Bill, how are you doing? Do you, you know, is your stomach okay? And I said, I Was he still wearing the He-Man outfit? <laughs> that would be amazing. Because that would be weird. <laughs> he had to offer you some advice. Is he a He-Man? He-Man uh, is He-Man. I don't even know if it'd be. Would it be scary to see your roommate still wearing the He-Man outfit three or four days later or to wake up in the shower, <laughs> He-Man just staring at you? With a scalpel in one hand and, and a, a bag. Boner. A boner and a bag with your liver in the other. <laughs> I don't think anyone would want my liver. This is a this is porn somewhere. This is already porn. I heard the day after. I drank a lot. I guess I don't really remember what happened at all. Uh, do you guys know what happened to me? And I said, Yeah, of course we do. Um, you got really drunk on this punch, <laughs> and then at one point you grabbed a bottle of vodka. Uh, this was in a barn. Smashed it against a pole uh, post in the barn. And then just started chugging from this broken vodka bottle. And you drank a lot of glass. And we were wondering if that was going to fuck up your intestines. <laughs> and I started freaking out saying, why didn't anyone tell me this before? Um, luckily, I didn't have uh, any, well, any more blood in my shit than usual. Hey. <laughs> um, but that's my Halloween story. Uh, hope you all are doing well. See you later. Lick my balls. Did you pick up on the word that Buffalo Bill said then? There was a word he said. What, about, blood in his BMs? No, about the venue that he was at, where this all took place. Did you pick up on it? No, I might have missed it. What was it? He said barn. I was in a barn. I'm sure he said barn. Yeah. Uh, I thought he said bar. I'm, I'm going with barn. Well, of course you would, because that's where you guys I have go your to barn dances. Midsummer celebrations. Yes, uh, bar dances. <laughs> barn dancings. I've been to many in my time. Worship the pagan gods. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Better than a bar. <laughs> Might. Yeah, I always find that funny when your friends, whenever like anyone asks me, like, what happened last night? I don't even remember. It's like, then you make up an amazing story. You're a dick for doing that. <laughs> I think it's great. Like, if I have a, I know women suffer from it more, but you get the anxiety. Do you, have you ever had anxiety? Do I've had those. What I get anxiety about is this, I'm like, oh shit, where's my wallet? Where's my phone? Where's my keys? Oh no, it's like, a much deeper anxiety than just like, where's my stuff? It's like, 
you what did I do last night it's what did I do why did I do that and then like sometimes like if I get like drunk I'll put up loads of Instagram stories and it'll be like here's me watching the kinks and shit like that it's just embarrassing and the next day I don't want to look at my phone I just don't want to interact with human beings it's like my anxiety <laughs> level is that high for a couple of like, hours and I just want to be the fuck alone. I would have been like, you don't remember? You blew like six Indian dudes for a kebab. That could have actually happened. <laughs> I probably would do that. That's called a normal Saturday night for K Rambo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you do like kebabs. I do love a kebab. Well, thank you there, Buffalo Bill. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's why David Tell calls being blacked out time travel. Because you really don't know what happened. And just don't rely on your friends. To uh, recollect what happened yeah, for you. Yeah, because they were apparently oh. evil. <laughs> well, I, we always did this. I mean, it's like, it's it's. why not take the opportunity? I think that's a very mean thing to do to someone. I'd just be like, don't worry about it, man. You got drunk. We all get drunk. It's fine. Don't well, worry. I'll say that like a week later. Yeah, after what, the anxiety is gone. <laughs> you want to say it on the day. And then the next day you go, actually, I didn't want to tell you yesterday because I knew you had a really bad hangover, but... <laughs> Well, put it this way. I used to have a pet gerbil before you got drunk last night. <laughs> All right? All right. And there's video evidence Richard of that. Richard <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the, the next caller here, actually, I was really surprised and actually rather pleased when she called in. It was one of uh, a, long, a long-term listener. I've just been listening probably since definitely the early days, the early wackerly days. Oh, we got an OG. And I uh, used to be one of our sick and wrong t-shirt models. There's Ooh. been quite a few. You can go you can go on the Facebook page, you can see some of the old t-shirt models. But she was one of my favorite and I think one of the sexiest. Hi Dee, hi Kate. This is Christina Kelly calling in, long-time listener since back in the day, uh back in the wackerly days actually. Um, and I've called back in those days as well, but obviously you haven't heard from me for many, many years. Very salacious phone calls back in the day. Oh, I bet. She used to have some stories. She just sounds hot already. Yeah. Well, I know Wackily thought she was really hot. But wouldn't Wackily think that any woman who looked at him was hot? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Wackily, (laughs) who doesn't listen to this podcast. Hey, he didn't have that much, you know, he didn't have like a wide selection, okay? (laughs) Bless him. <laughs> Just wanted to call in and say congratulations. This is so exciting. I have been following the show through Wackerly, through Harrison, through Kay, and Kay, you're just the best. Um, it's hey. so much fun hearing you guys. So to know that you're married is just a cherry on the top of this amazing show that I love so much. So... Yeah, the next thing we're planning on doing is becoming paranormal investigators. That's how our next move, Christina. <laughs> That's the next move, Christina. <laughs> so hope you listen to that. Yeah, we're going to start a ghost hunting podcast. I think Christina also joined the patron as well. And I think she, she, yeah, I think she commented something really nice. There's only one Christina who's just joined recently. So I'm assuming this is her. So thank no, you for the really nice uh, comments, Christina. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Christina. Really cool. Very excited to hear about that. Um, as for me, I have been living mostly a boring life since you last heard from me. When I called in, I was a award-winning porn star and dominatrix and doing all sorts of kinky shit. Um, but now... Yeah, she used to be like an alt porn star. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she would call in with stories of, uh, some of her clients. 
Oh, I want to go back I mean, people, and listen. I'm sure people who have been listening to this show for years would recognize this voice. Yeah. And she, she had some great stories. I'm sure she still has some great stories. I am on my way to my psychiatrist because I got diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. So it has been just a fun and terrible time, but I will tell you more about it as it unfolds. If you guys have questions about what that means, um, I'm happy to talk to you about it. Maybe some. No, I definitely want to hear more about this. Like, how do you, how, I guess, at what point do you get diagnosed with borderline personality disorder? Yeah, I want to know more about because, like, everyone who has a borderline personality is, like, so different as well. One of my mates, his mom, she had, like, a 19-year affair with this guy. But she only had it when she was on her highs. So when she was on her lows, she would come back to the family. The family just accepted this as this is what she'd do. She would steal her husband's credit cards. She would rent out a really fancy, like, five-star hotel somewhere call her lover and be like, come meet me. And then for two weeks, she would like just gallivant off somewhere, have this insane affair, like get really fucking drunk, do a ton of drugs. And then the lows, she would come back to her family to be looked after. And the husband stayed with her? Yeah, because she did have, he was very aware that she had borderline personality. But as the years like progressed, she just got worse and worse and worse. And he has left her now. Oh, okay, God. Yeah. Oh, I was about to say. I mean, because her highs started lasting for way longer and she would stop taking her medication and stuff. I'm assuming he got custody of the kids. But the kids were very grown by this point. Oh. Very grown. Man's a trooper. But yeah, I would like to know what events transpired for you to go and see a psychiatrist to get diagnosed borderline. Yeah, me too. The crazy shit I've done. Not realizing I was borderline, but now looking back, being like, oh, shit, I guess you shouldn't, uh, you know, Instagram stalk your former lovers for months at a time. I guess that's not the best thing to do. Okay. Won't do that anymore. (laughs) I'm in therapy now, and it works out great. Prozac's a hell of a drug. I recommend it for everyone. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I'm just getting my life back together. And then uh, next weekend... I remember you guys had a caller who was going, who was a preacher, and so I thought he was going to go. I heard he was going to seminary, and that was really exciting for me because. Wait a second, was that is she talking about atheist preacher? I think she's talking about atheist preacher. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's been a couple preachers, but I wonder if she means AP. But he was only there because he was a victim of circumstance, wasn't well, he? No, did he need a place to crash? Yeah, he didn't, and they just took in, like, him the, in. <laughs> Yeah, like the back room. And he was like, okay, I'll try this, but no. And now he's a truck driver, so uh, heed oh, no, that he warning there, job Christina. He's, he's since evolved from truck driving, too. What, is it, what does he do now? He has, I'm not sure, he was like being a delivery driver around town. He's doing really good. He's got tons of fucking animals. Very cute animals. You can see them all on the Discord. Well, like a, like a Noah's Ark kind of thing? Pretty much. He had ducklings the last time. Atheist preacher, I want to hear about your animals. <laughs> I hate to say that I'm like a born again Christian because I'm not that kind of Christian. Whoa. But I am going to seminary and I really am uh, excited about it. I haven't applied yet, but it's something that I look forward to. Um, so if you ever want to do some real fun, progressive Bible talk, I'm totally down for that as well. <laughs> well, in fact, our next show, that was the theme like progressive, fun Bible chat. Oh my God, with our guest host, Christina. <laughs> I think I'll have to hard pass on that. Yeah. But uh, wow, what a 180. What a 180. 
Yeah, totally. But at least like she's happy. Doing at least she's shit. happy doing something she she wants to do. And you know so what? What's do, the end game though? Like, what what's the goal? Like, do you become a preacher? Like, do you want to be a preacher? I think she, maybe she could be. But you snake know handler. Snake handling. But at the end of the day, it's all about introspection, isn't it? If it's going to help her be more introspective, and that's only a good thing. Flesh snake handler. Oh, that's what she used to be, <laughs> David. <laughs> Uh, once again, I'm super excited for you guys. Seriously, I'm grinning ear to ear right now. Um, love listening to you both and will continue to listen. And yeah, take it easy. Bye-bye. Wow. I do want to hear a little bit more about the seminary school. I want to hear more about the seminary school. Like, yeah, what is the end goal? What do, What is she going to hope to achieve? But I definitely want to hear more about if she's willing to hear more about like the highs and the lows. Yeah, I wonder what kind of preacher... She wants to be, or is it preacher, or pastor, or priest? Like, what, who I don't goes know. to seminary? I, I don't know. Why, why are you asking me? I've been raised without any religion. Why are you asking me? Fuck what it, Christina, you? become a rabbi. Spread the good word of sick and wrong, <laughs> Christina. That's like nine years of school. Fuck. The other thing, I, like, um, is 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 Instagram stalking people really bad? Do people like come at you? I, I love Instagram. How you're asking because I Instagram. Is like, really? Is that a thing? I Instagram stalk Niagara Detroit. Is that really bad? Yeah, but what do you do? Do you like uh, constantly DM her? No, not constantly. You masturbate over photos multiple times. No, a day? she's too. Oh, she's just one today. Now she's a she's my idol. I would never sully her in such a manner. No. <laughs> but you know, I've got her so as soon as she posts up a picture, I know, and I'm like always in the first ten people liking. I comment. She always comments back to me now, which makes my day whenever she comments back. I've seen you do terrible things to Chris Christopherson photos. I love Chris Christopherson. Oh, terrible things. Unspeakable things. I don't even want to bring it up <laughs> on the show. I can't Instagram stalk. I Instagram stalk John Foggy. Is he on Instagram? Yeah, he's got his a really big grandkids present. grandkids probably post his stories. Well, his children, his sons, are in his band. <laughs> it's a family affair. It shows what you know about John Foggy. Well, no, I'm just saying it's like, do you really think John Fogarty's like, oh, I got to like put some great songs and put a Creedence song on uh, my story here? I think you should maybe look at his Instagram and then you can decide. Nancy Sinatra does it all by herself. I think John Fogarty's granddaughter does his Instagram. He doesn't have a granddaughter. He's only got children. No, he's got a granddaughter. Did he do? Uh, he did a video with his kid, his grandkid. No, not his grandkids. What? He's got no grandkids. He's got three children. Two of he... the boys are in the band of him and his daughter has just gone off to uni. But when she comes back from uni, guess where she's going? In the family fucking band. He did a video where he was talking about uh, Donald Trump um, uh, misappropriating uh, Fortunate Son. And yes. there was a, a girl in this video. It was his grandkid. That's his daughter. She's She's young. That's his daughter that you're thinking of. This girl is like, she's got to be like eight years old. The blonde girl. Yeah. That's his daughter. That's his daughter. That's his daughter. When did he have this daughter? When he was like 70? <laughs> Pretty fucking old, yeah, because he is 70. Yeah, it's like Ron Wood. <laughs> Who's Ron Wood? Ronnie, Ronnie Wood. Wood. Yeah, oh, he's so having, weird to hear him called Ron. <laughs> yeah, but like Ronnie Wood is going out and having kids now. Well, so is Jagger. So is Mick Jagger. Yeah. Dinosaur him. kids. Anyway, Christina calls back with a part two. Ooh, excellent. Hi, it's Christina again. I just heard the latest debate, and I must say, deep down inside, I don't want to admit it, but as an American, yes, I have heard of the news <laughs> being used See? in lieu of wildebeest. I just think that collectively as Americans, it's just 
it's like saying the word moist, gnus. It's not very, I don't know, it's not a very... That's the name of my band, Moist Canoe. Moist Canoe. <laughs> Sounds a bit like a canoe, doesn't it? The Moist Canoe. I, I just think Moist Canoe. I think... I like that. Because the other day, I found a David Attenborough clip. So if we're going to believe anybody, we're going to believe David Attenborough. Like, probably everyone loves David Attenborough. Nobody wants this man to die. It's kind of like Tom Hanks. He's like Britain's sweetheart, David Attenborough. He calls him wildebeest. Well, no, most of the world calls him wildebeest. It's just uh, North America refers to him as gnus. Swede, Sweden, message me and says that they refer to them as gnus in Sweden. In Sweden? They refer to them as gnus. Good job, Swede. Thanks, <laughs> brothers in arms. <laughs> so I'm telling you, you'd never even heard the word. I did not even know that they were not a bovine. Yeah, well, that, that's, that that's, blew another, my mind. that's another interesting case in point about Kate Rambo. <laughs> Doesn't know the difference between a bovine and an antelope. I do but now. I grew up in the wilderness of Africa. Yes, you I did. I know <laughs> what a wildebeest is. <laughs> However, I also grew up with the term GNU, so I knew that too. Weird. Likeable word. Wildebeest is, is a lot more likable. But uh, I, I do, I do admit, yes, we, we do, we do, uh, we do know of GNUs here. Everybody else is in denial. All right. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Christina. I love the intensity that that debate between us has sparked with people. I've had so many messages about gnus and wildebeest. I've never like considered wildebeest this much in my fucking life before. (laughs) And now I think about them at least once a day because somebody messages it to me. Well, you know what? Gino sent me uh, some some proof of the word gnu. And it's a song. I don't even know who this guy is. A year ago, last Thursday... I was strolling in the zoo. It's called the Gnu song. When I met a man who thought he knew the lot, he was late. I'm going to fast forward it because the song sucks, but uh, <laughs> just to get to the point that matters. in the zoo. I'm a Gnu. How do you do? You really ought to canova who's wahoo. <laughs> I'm a Gnu. Spelt G N U. G-N-U-K-Rambo. I'm not a camel or a kangaroo. And not so a bovine. So let introduce, I'm neither man or moose. Oh, gano, 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 I'm a gano. And that's what you need to do. Gano, 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 the gano. That reminds me of what's the guy called? I want to call him Thank Tom. Thank you, Gino. You remember Tom Lerner who did the periodic table song? That's what that reminds me of. I guess, but you know that that's like uh, this. This is like some comedy act from the 1950s when people thought that was funny. Well, I mean, they also thought wearing a lot of underwear was very appropriate back in the 50s. Well, now we appreciate the transphobic humor of Dave Chappelle. (laughs) (laughs) I do. (laughs) Thank you, Christina. Thank you, Gino. People, call the Cigarong Hotline 323-522-4032 and send more proof of the word GNU. Join the Patreon. If it, it was on the Patreon, we had that big debate, wasn't was it? it on, uh, I think that, it was. How did that even come up? I, I just don't know, but it, I remember it, it got intense. It got intense. So Kate's a feisty drunk, as evidenced <laughs> in the last second show where we were talking about um, when you almost got in a fight with the Liverpudlians. Yes. You're a feisty not. drunk. And so I think something came up where I might have said the word GNU, and then, yeah, it just initiated, it yeah, no, initiated a, a a fight. I'm a feisty drunk, but you know what? I always admit when I'm wrong, and I do admit that I was wrong with the whole GNU, the <laughs> thing. 
<laughs> and that's why we have a successful marriage. <laughs> For now. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, people call us here on Highlight 323-522-4032. We do have a second show now on Patreon, like literally a bonafide second show. It's like an hour long, sometimes longer. It's a whole show. Um, it's, it's different than the main show. It's, it's, we kind of discuss more personal story, time, current life events kind of thing. We do a news story. We do phone calls. I think this week, uh, we chatted about the Devil's Night Manchester meetup, uh, which we had last night. Um, we also uh, got a phone call from Glasgow Greg. Yeah. Who congratulated us on our infernal union. And it was also like very curious to hear Kate's sentiments on circumcised penises. And I dish it all. <laughs> he was, but he was very interested. I think it was his wife this. who was asking, but he was like relaying the information. His wife, him. who he refers to as the cripple. Well, she's a cripple. Well, exactly, but it's it's great that he that's the pet name. Well, he did that to her, so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you can get the second show. It comes out every Sunday, just like the main show, on patreon.com slash sick and wrong for only $5 a month. And for a few bucks more, you get our sick and wrong news segment. Uh, this week, we talked about the Facebook metaverse, which uh, Kate Rambo fears. I'm very against it. I just don't want it, and I didn't You're ask scared. for it. You're scared. You, you fear the it. metaverse. Like, I, I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't want to be an avatar in anyone else's dreams. Like, no. No well, thanks. Too late. You already are. <laughs> uh, Don Jr. sold shirts that reads, Guns don't kill people. Alec Baldwin kills people. Like, seriously, you can go to Don Jr.'s website, and you can buy that right now. But we talk about that. And uh, we also talk about UK dog owners who are now being fined for putting their dogs on vegan diets. It's about time, I think. I agree. Uh, the Sick and Wrong mini-sode, Overkill, uh, which is also available at the, at, the, at the tier of the Sick and Wrong News. Uh, Kate does uh, a whole, um, like a whole uh, research uh, uh, thesis about the Wasp Woman. It's like a mini-profile. A mini-profile. The wasp, wasp Woman and Lux Interior from the Cramps. Uh, no, Lux Interior is my special Halloween sponsor. Oh, he's a show. sponsor. He's the sponsor. Of the Wasp Woman. But it's a crazy story. story has everything. It does. Ha- it has like ninjas, JFK, possibly a dwarf. Yeah, it, you know, <laughs> that, it's a crazy Mad story. cow disease. <laughs> yeah, no, check it out. The Wasp Woman on Signal Overkill. All of that's available on our Patreon Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Also, there is like a Halloween sale going on right now at Tee Public. If you want to get some sick and wrong merch, just go to sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop and uh, click on the picture of the Pope. Finally, here's sick and wrong song of the week. I was looking for some uh, some Halloween music for the Halloween show. And, uh, you know, it's the last episode of Spooktober. There's only one band that is Halloween. Well, there are several bands that I like to listen to on Halloween. Alice Cooper. Yes. Merciful Fate. Always. The Damned. Yeah. Rocky Erickson, The Aliens. Yeah. Uh, the Misfits. All Sam Haynes. great. Uh, Screaming Jay Hawkins. Classic. But the one I think that, I don't know, over the past definitely like 25 years, I've listened to every time on Halloween. I used to love seeing them live on Halloween. Yeah, sod off. Sod off. Many right. times yeah. is The Cramps. You know, uh, Lux just had a birthday, Lux Interior. He did. Uh, 21st of October, 1946. He is a Libra. A Libra and a Pisces pairing is always very strong, very good. Brilliant person to see live, which I did many times. Sod off. (laughs) Just sod off. (laughs) On Halloween night, sometimes on Devil's Night. Yeah, just sod off. Because they they did that on the West Coast. I know they did at the Fillmore. Amazing. Yeah, fuck off. Incredible band. Anyway... They do remind me of Halloween, and uh, I think of Halloween every time I listen to music. And this song 
particularly reminds me of Halloween. I think it's a good one, a good, good song to end the show. I was a teenage werewolf. It's from uh, the record Songs the Lord Taught Us. Yeah, classic. Um, came out in 1980. Anyway, people, have a safe and happy Halloween. And parents out there, do try to steal all of your kids' good candy while uh, under the guise of checking for razors. You know, these full-size Reese's Cups, there's razors in these. I better check these ones. And just do it. Just take all the good candy. Enjoy your barn dances, people of Britain. <laughs> I'm just saying, your kids are too fat. Like, and the British people the, all worship we have the is, pagan gods. Yeah, all we have is barn dances. Enjoy them, people. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, happy Halloween. We'll be back next week with episode uh, 816. Till then, take a sleazy. It's not easy. It's not easy, you know. You, you know, you see things and experience things. 
It's more comfortable now. It's a lot more comfortable for me. When the music stops, you swim in the mirror standing behind you. 